So this morning is the first Sunday of Advent, which means there's only four Sundays, four weeks till Christmas. Ah, everyone starts to panic now because you don't have everything. Um, and so what we want to do for the next four weeks, oh, that's one of the big announcements I forgot. Next week, because of Dickens and all the craziness that there is, uh, we had a group approach us wanting to come down Sunday and uh, take over service for us. They're a musical group. They are Canada's double portion, if you know who that is. They've been here before. Um, great family group, very musical. They travel all over Canada. They are in Whitewood on Saturday, and they offered to come down Sunday and do service. And I was like, you know what? With the Dickens craziness, I won't say no. So next week, we're having this group out. Uh, they're going to play their music. They're going to, uh, Duncan's going to speak. It's going to be a great service, so come on out, invite your friends. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We're excited to have them come and visit us out of the blue. Um, but other than when Canada's Double Portion is here, we are going to be walking through a series called A Generous Life. And it's, <laughs> the reason I wanted to kind of park on this is all throughout Advent, particularly the Christmas season, especially because it's been Black Friday and all the craziness that goes with that, the theme of the season isn't really generosity, right? The theme of the season is this is, you want this. You, you, you know, you, you make up your Christmas list and you ask for it and it's, it's all about me, but it's, it's veiled as, well, you got to buy this person this because it's going to make their life better. But underneath it all, it's like, I hope someone gets me this because it's going to make my life better. And it's all about the materialistic. It's all about how much you can spend. It's all about the perfect gift. It's all about, blah. It's all about stuff. And when we talk about generosity in the church and in the Bible, God has a different idea for generosity. He's a different idea of how we're to express it. And this morning, we're going to look at how generosity uh, actually has benefit for your life not just the life of the person that you're helping. Um, we actually have more than just the scriptures backing it up. There's actually some science behind generosity that I think you're going to find really interesting. The other thing that is kind of <coughs> countercultural to God's version of generosity is this whole immersion of the social media culture of you just have to present well, right? You have to you have to look perfect all the time. Well, perfect is expensive. I don't know if you know this, but having all the right clothes can really rack up a bill. Having the lights perfect. Um, I tell this story. Uh, when I was in Medicine Hat, I took youth to a mission trip to Barbados. And uh, we were at a restaurant. We just had a long day of ministry. And uh, these three ladies come in, and it, it, like, it's girls' night. You can tell. They're like dressed to the nines. They are showing up. They're... And they get to their table, and they're very picky about their table. There's lots of open spots, but they just, they were really selective. We're like, okay, that's weird. But what they were looking for was the right lighting. And in order to get the pictures to go with girls' night, one of them had their phone. I don't have my phone. One had their phone trying to take the picture, and they were positioning their friends' phones with the flashlights to make sure the lighting was just right, that there wasn't any shadows, and hide, hide whatever needed to be hidden. But like, it was quite a production for them to just get one photo. And of course, all three of them had to have their individual photos, and they had to have a group photo, and all three. It, oh man, it was quite a thing. But it takes effort, it takes 
you know, the, the clothes they were wearing were not cheap. And, and God shows up on the scene. He says, I'm calling you as believers and as people to be generous. And, and to, it's not all about you. And it's not all about what you get. And it's not all about, it's actually <clears throat> all about everyone else. And so this morning, we're going to dive into Acts 20. Uh, it's a story about Paul. <laughs> starting at verse 17. Um, we're going to look at this story of Paul and we're going to kind of pull out everything that we want to pull out of it. And it is, again, the whole point of it is how does generosity look when we are a Christ follower? What does generosity look like in God's eyes? Uh, it's a little bit of backstory for this. Um, Acts 20, the Apostle Paul is the main character of the story and Paul is on his farewell tour. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and every time he's, he's, he's going to the churches that he's planted, and he's meeting with the leaders, and he is saying his goodbyes. He knows that this is it. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He says, every time I stop at a church, God tells me that there's only suffering in jail waiting for me in Jerusalem. He knows that this is it, and so he's intentionally stopping at key places saying his final words, giving him their final encouragement. And so when we get to Acts 20, verse 17, Paul is in Miletus. He's meeting with the church of Ephesus, which is where we get the letter to the Ephesians. And he is going to give his kind of reflect with them. You know, as you do with most people, you just kind of share the good memories. But he's going to teach them through it. And so we're going to dive, dive into that. So Acts 20, <coughs> starting in verse 17. But when we landed at Miletus, we sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. And when they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and without, with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace. <clears throat> that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. 
I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. So that's a lot of reading. There's a big passage. (coughs) There's a couple things that draws out. The big thing is he's talking about his mission, right? And we just talked about this not too long ago, that we as a church have a mission from Christ that we are to preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that the Lord gave us. This is the mission. And Paul is so committed to the mission that he says, I was willing to endure trials that would have chased anyone else off. I was, I was tearful. I was broken. I didn't take anything from anyone. In fact, I worked so hard that I could provide for not only myself, but for those that helped me. And the, the epitome of Paul's faithfulness to the mission, but more importantly, his generosity and his selflessness in it. He's like, I consider my life worth nothing. He's like, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those that I was reaching out to, for the sake of (coughs) seeing the kingdom expanded, he's like, I I consider my life nothing. I would make any sacrifice, I'd endure any trial, I'd do it all over again because I want to give of myself to those that I'm trying to serve. The mission required extreme generosity. He continually gave of himself over and over again. So much so, he said, I, would, I endure trials that would have chased anyone else off. It's selflessness. It's this, I will just give and give and give to my own detriment if I have to. <coughs> and it shouldn't surprise us that Paul had this extreme amount of generosity, this extreme commitment to the mission, because this is the example that we see from Christ. And Christ is the whole reason for the season. Jesus himself, when he was walking around doing his ministry, said that I have no home to call my own. I had nowhere to lay my head for the duration of my ministry. Why? Because he was so generous with himself. He didn't want to waste money on, on homes. He had Judas, who you know maybe wasn't the best option, but Jesus knew what he was doing. Judas was managing the finances. Well, what was he doing with the finances? Well, he's providing for those around him. He's providing for those who are in need. He, he had access to money, but he wasn't spending on himself. He was willingly giving it away. And it should come as no surprise as Jesus just continually over and over again gave of himself sacrificially that the early church would do the same. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us that God continues to ask that of us because God gives of himself sacrificially. He said how much, Romans says, how much greater is the love of God? He gave his own son for each and every one of us. He loved you so much, he didn't even hold back his one and only son. He didn't save him from death. He, he actually put him through the most horrible death he could. When we are living a generous life, we are not just embodying and imitating Christ. We're embodying and imitating our Heavenly Father. 
God is so generous. God is so selfless. It should come as no surprise that he asks us the same thing. It's interesting in the midst of him sharing all of this, he pauses and makes sure to mention coveting. Now, you don't know what coveting is. A, some of you are like, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You're right, it is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not covet. Um, Coveting is, just a sec, I want to make sure that I read this right because I don't want to mess it up. Um, Coveting is a consuming and controlling desire for what someone else has or for more of what we already have. Let me say that again. Coveting is a consuming and controlling desire for something that someone else has or for more of what you already have. And one commentator said that even though coveting may be the last of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, it is the one that we are prone to break the other commandments to appease. Right? If you have this coveting, controlling desire for something, then you may steal to get it. You may kill someone to get it. You may lie to get it. The whole point of adultery is that you are fooling around with somebody else's spouse because you are coveting them. If you want something, you may dishonor your parents in order to get it. And Ephesians 5 goes so far to say that if you are caught up in coveting, it is actually a form of idolatry because you're allowing this controlling desire to trump what the one thing you are to truly desire, which is your Heavenly Father, which we just spent a whole series looking at what it means to seek, right? So coveting is actually a violation, or can be a violation, of the other nine of the Ten Commandments. And it shouldn't surprise us that coveting is an enemy of generosity because it often gets in the way, right? If you have this desire for something, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it because it's so consuming and so controlling, then generosity is going to get in the way of that, right? If I want this thing, I'm not giving money. I'm not giving my time because it's going to slow down the process of me achieving whatever it is I'm trying to achieve. Coveting is the enemy of generosity. And as I'm saying this, each and every one of us probably comes to mind something that we're like, you know what? I had this opportunity to be generous, but this thing, fill in the blank. I think we've all fallen into this trap. So everything I'm saying should come as no surprise that coveting is the opposite of generosity. And so Paul addresses it and it's like, no, have nothing to do with this. Because everything that we've been given, we're to hold on with an open hand because it is a gift from God and we need to be willing to give it on to somebody else. Coveting is the enemy of generosity. (coughs) But not only that, Not only is generosity something that embodies who God is, um, I found that there's a little bit of science that shows that it's actually ingrained in our DNA to be generous. Um, A recent study of people's brains, so they used an fMRI, which I don't know what that means, but somebody here probably does. They did an fMRI on somebody's brain while they were giving something away. And what they found was that the act of giving triggered the same part of the brain as food and sex. So it stimulated the pleasure centers of the brain that being generous, giving something, 
actually had the same effect on our body and our mind as what food and sex have on our lives. And Dev's nodding, so I know I'm right. Okay, um, that's significant because it means that generosity is something that we should long for. That it that when we when it says we're made in God's image and God is the embodiment of generosity, it should come as no surprise that we find pleasure in being generous. If we find pleasure in giving, in fact, one. <clears throat> One scientist went so far to say, she wrote for Time magazine, she said this, and I put the quote up on the screen for you. She said, helping others may be the secret to living a life that is not only happier, but healthier, wealthier, more productive, and meaningful. That was Jenny Santee writing for Time magazine, and I didn't write down the year she wrote it. I'm going to read that again, because I think this is really important. And it's so countercultural, right? If especially when it comes to being wealthier, giving away what you have seems counterintuitive to being wealthy. But Jenny says this, helping others may be the secret to living a life that is not only happier, but healthier, wealthier, more productive, and meaningful. It is so ingrained in our person. We are so much like God that when we think of generosity being counterintuitive, because we talk about generosity and in today's economy, that's a tough thing, right? So, some of us probably feel like we're just barely scraping by. We can barely make ends meet. And so the idea of actually giving what little we have is, it makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> but the science lines up with Scripture. I love it when that happens. That's always good. I mean, science is finally figuring it out. Um, Science actually saying, you know what? Actually, if you want to start getting ahead, it may start with actually being more generous. You want to be happier, healthier, more productive, and living a more meaningful life. It may actually start right here with generosity. And it should come as no surprise that if the pleasure centers in our brain are activated when we're being sacrificial, when we're giving of ourselves. Um, I have a story I wanted to read for you. Um, and And... and the fact that the, our brain reacts the way it is when we're being sacrificial, this story should come as no surprise. Um, I think this is back in 2015. Uh, when Air Florida Flight 90 smashed into a frozen lake in the middle of a snowstorm, all but six passengers were killed. Some 20 minutes later, a helicopter arrived to rescue the survivors. After getting one man to safety, the helicopter threw a life ring to Arland Williams, who immediately gave it to the passenger next to him. When the helicopter came back a third time, he did the same thing again and again. And when the helicopter came back a final time, Arland had passed away. He had used his last ounce of strength to save a complete stranger. And it's one thing to say, you know, that makes sense if we're going to do that for someone we love, but Arland was willing to give everything for someone that he had never met before, a complete stranger to himself. But God has designed us to be sacrificial. God has designed us to be generous, that we are willing to give it all for somebody else. And so as we enter into Advent, we enter into this Christmas season, God continues to call us to be generous because we're never more like God when we're being sacrificial. We're never more like, our, like Jesus when we're being generous with what we have and being open-handed. And so generosity starts with thinking less of ourselves and putting the value 
on other people, the way that God did, the way that Jesus did. Um, <coughs> and it's so ingrained that we actually can unlock the life that we were longing for. Because I don't know about you, but I think all of us can relate to at least one of those things in that list on that quote, right? I mean, if, if you don't want to be healthier, wealthier, happier, um, more purposeful and find meaning in your life, then, then maybe this is the wrong group. But like, I think we can all gravitate to one of those things that we could use a little bit more of. Generosity, it not only helps a person to be generous to, but it actually unlocks something in us that we start to live the life we're called to. We're never more like our Heavenly Father than when we choose to be generous with what he has entrusted to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the example that you've made, that you've left for us. Jesus, I thank you that we can dive into the word as you have, you lived the perfect life, and you set the example that we all need, um, so God, help us to step into generosity, help us to be more like you in this, um, in this way, and especially God in this time that is, it's countercultural. it seems so weird, the idea of being generous, God, I pray that we would embrace it that we would, um, we would really step into it. And Heavenly Father, we just ask you to lead us. Show us what it means to be generous with what we have. And it won't look the same for all of us, but, but God, we need you to lead us. We need you to show us what, what generosity looks like because um, we want to honor you above all else. God, I thank you for Paul's example. I thank you for Christ's example. And I pray, God, that in our own way, we will, we will follow the example laid before us. I pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.